again, thank you. That was amazing. Thank you for leading us. Am I on okay? I, yeah, all right. I saw a thumbs up. That's good. All right. Well, can you believe that we're finally at, at the last time we're together, at least for this time? I heard a preacher say years ago, he said, listen, whenever we're leaving, don't worry about saying goodbye. He said, this is what he tells people to say. Just say, see you here, there, or in the air. How about that? <laughs> and so we'll see each other again, I'm sure, I hope. And uh, if I could twist your pastor's arm to let me come back, I would love to. But um, man, what a joy is it? it's been for me to be here with you. And I hope that in this, that the Spirit of God is stirring something in your heart about just God's desire for you to walk in more. You know, I find so many believers that are satisfied in circling in the wilderness. And one of the things about walking in the wilderness, and this is a reality, that you can walk in the wilderness, and because God's grace and His goodness, He'll take care of you. You know, the Bible says that the 40 years that the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, their sandals never wore out. Their clothes never, you know, wore out. I mean, you think about that. I can't imagine a pair of shoes lasting 40 years. I mean, that's just pretty amazing. But they didn't step into all that God had for them. There was so much more. They settled. And what I've learned through the years is there is a, there is a need, a necessity in a believer to be what I'm going to talk about tonight, about being tenacious in your walk. Because what I found is if I am not pursuing and, and tenacious about my pursuit, that I will find myself falling backwards. It's just the nature of the world that we live in. We have to remind ourselves, as I tell our church many times, that whenever you gave your life to Christ and you stepped into this, you've stepped into a war. Now, you were already in the war, but when you gave your life to Christ, you gave your life to a new kingdom and you're following a new leader. And that whenever you come to Christ, you haven't stepped onto the love boat, you've stepped into a battleship. And many times we forget that. We think that everything ought to be rosy and good. One day it will be, praise God, as we just sang, that when that time comes that we hear the trumpet and the, we see the skies will part and the Lord Jesus will step out and everything will change. But until then, we're still, as a friend of mine wrote a song many, many years ago, we're still behind enemy lines. And we need to remind ourselves of that. And so as we walk into this and we're continuing tonight, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13. And I've titled tonight's message, A Tenacious Passion for More. A Tenacious Passion for More. You know, one of the things that I have in, about in my life that I love to challenge myself, I like to step into new challenges. And back years ago, I was a long time ago, I was a, a runner and then I continued doing that. But, you know, I hit an age to where it seemed like every time I went out for a run, my knees were bothering me. So I started cycling. And then um, I discovered this thing called a triathlon. And so I said, man, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. And so I started training for that and had a big time doing that and, um, and, and would push myself. Well, I decided back, and this is about 10 years ago now, I decided that I was going to do a half Ironman. Now, some of you probably done them and just think, well, that's easy. Why don't you do a full one, you know, you slacker? But, uh, 
but I went to uh, Augusta, Georgia, and the, uh, just to kind of tell you about it, the swim is a 1.2-mile swim, and then you do a 56-mile bike ride, and then you run a half marathon. So in my mind, I had to make a decision, and this was the decision I made. I am going to complete and not compete. And so I get there. Now, let me just tell you, it was in a river. And, um, and I'll just tell you how it went. It was, it was, let me just say it was miserable. It was horrible. Uh, but I kept in my mind that I was going to complete and not compete. And so I get out there, and the first thing, I jump in the water, and the water is freezing. And it takes my breath. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to swim when you're... <gasps> It's a little bit difficult. It's bottom line, I'm thinking I'm not going to make it after about 10 yards. And so I had to make a decision. I'm either going to quit or I'm going to complete. And so here was my decision. I decided, well, there's no way I'm going to make it because I am free. I can't catch a breath. And so I, they, they keep canoes out about every 100 yards of people on there so I swam from canoe to canoe. In fact, I'd pull up and say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> then I'd go back. And I did that all the way. And literally, that's the truth. And then I get on my bike. And, and has anybody here done triathlons? Some of you, I'm sure, have. You've done them, yeah. So let me tell you, it's probably the most humiliating thing you do. It's the most humbling thing I've ever done. Because people that would be easily 50 pounds heavier than me, I can't catch them. It's unbelievable. I mean, it really is. And I'm going, and I've got a lady in front of me, and I cannot catch her. And I'm looking at her thinking, did she sign up for this, or did she just get lost in the crowd? Because she did not look like a triathlete. But I could not catch her. And so that was my goal, was trying to catch her. But I get the 56 miles, and then uh, get that finished. I get on my running shoes on, and I start running. And literally after a mile, I start cramping in this calf. And so I stop and I walk and it quits and I start back up and it starts back up again and I stop and I walk about another, I don't know, maybe 100 yards, start running and then the other one started cramping. By the halfway part in the half Ironman, and I mean in the half marathon, both of my thighs and both of my calves were cramping and all I kept saying to myself, I've come to complete and not compete. And I come around to the last bit. Now, listen, I'm being passed by ladies with walkers, you know. You know, it's, it's humbling. But, but by the time I come around, and of course, they're all, you know, if you've ever gone to any race like that, when you come around in, everybody's, come on, run it in, come on, run. Well, I'm wanting to punch them because I'm like, I, I can't. I mean, my legs, literally, I'm just like this. There's no, they won't, I'm now in a full cramp the whole time. But I decided I've come to complete and not compete. And I crossed the finish line and finished it, and I finished my goal. I'm telling you that because let me tell you about the Christian life. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If it was easy to walk with God, I promise you everybody would do it. But it's not. And if you're in this trying to compete with other believers, that's why you're not making it. Because you're looking at everybody else, you're trying to make yourself saying, okay, if I could just be as good as them, that's not why we're here and that's not what we're here to do. We are here to complete the race. Paul 
said, I have fought the good fight. I have, what did he say? Finished the race. I've kept the faith. And so tonight, as we look at this, I want to help you because I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. Some of you are in situations in your home or at your workplace that it is just every day is a battle. And I understand that, and I'm telling you that I get it, but don't sit here and try to compete with other believers because you're not going to make it. You're going to constantly be discouraged. You're going to constantly want to give up, but you're in this to complete. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to get cramps in your legs. But just keep going forward. Just keep moving forward. So as we come to this, I want you to write this down at the top of your outline. And it's a long sentence, and so I'm going to give you a couple of, I was going to say a couple of minutes. That may be too long. But just this idea, because here's our focused idea for what I'm going to talk about tonight, and it's simply this truth. A persistent tenacity must overcome a passive apathy in order to reach a powerful destiny. I'm going to give you time just to write it down. A persistent tenacity, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in just a second. A persistent tenacity must overcome. Did you notice what I'm saying? It must overcome a passive apathy. We all have a passive apathy. But it must overcome a passive apathy in order to reach a powerful destiny. God has for you a powerful destiny. He has for you a destiny that is beyond anything you could imagine. Let me tell you about God's will while you're writing it. Everybody getting that written down? Written down? Let me tell you about God's will for your life. And this is what a lot of people miss because they, they, they just struggle with, well, I want to know God's will. Let me tell you what his will for you is. If you could see from his perspective If you could see everything about your life from his perspective, and he said, you choose, and he gave you options, and he said, which one would you choose? The one you would choose is the one he has for you. He has his best for you. He's not up there trying to hold out, hold back, say, well, you know, that may be what you want, but that's not what I'm going to give you. That is not the God we serve. He has a powerful destiny for you, but I promise you, inside of all of us is this side of us that is going to just be given and driven toward apathy. It's to say, you know what, I'm in it, but oh man, it's just, it's like the old guy that say, man, I go work out on weights, but you know, they're just so heavy. You know, it's just that struggle that people have. We just kind of think, I want to go do it, but I don't really want to do it. And so as we walk into this, and so let me just kind of talk about these, the powerful destiny. What do I mean by that? Well, a powerful destiny is walking in the victory of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. Walking in the victory of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what a powerful destiny is. It's a real simple idea. It's just simply saying that the victory Jesus won on the cross, I want to walk in in my life, and I can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, let me give you extra credit here, okay? I want to give you just an extra side credit um, here. Whenever we stand before God, have you ever thought about what's he going to be looking for? You know, you think about that for just a minute. I want to tell you, I believe the Bible tells us he's going to be looking for one thing in my life. He's going to be looking for Jesus. He's not looking for David to be a good guy. 
He's not looking for me to come in there and say, look at all the things I did for you. He's looking for what Jesus did through me through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what he's looking for. And so that's the powerful destiny that he has for us, is to, for, for us to be walking in the victory that Jesus won on the cross through the power of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What's a passive apathy, though? Well, here's a passive apathy, just an idea. A passive apathy is a lack of interest in growing spiritually in order to walk in victory. That's the thing we battle. It's just this simple reality that's in us that we have this struggle inside of us that has a lack of interest in growing. You know how it is. I mean, we say we want to grow in the Lord, but then we don't want to grow in the Lord. I mean, I'm in the same battle, all right? I'm not trying to throw rocks because, I mean, I'm, I'm in the same problem. One hand, I want to walk with God. But on the other side, and I tell our people, I say the most difficult part of the Christian life is it's just so daily. It's just so daily. Martin Luther said this. He said, we awaken every morning to self-worship. I awaken every morning to want to be my own boss, call my own shots, do what I want to do, and figure out the way I want to do it. And that's why the Bible tells us, and Paul said, I die daily. I have to choose Say, I'm not going to step into that passive apathy. And then here's what a, uh, a persistent tenacity is. It's just simply this. is continually developing in your faith even when it's not popular or doesn't make sense. Real simple. You're going to continue to grow in the Lord even when it's not popular and it doesn't make sense. Okay? So we're going to be talking about a story between a great prophet and a king. And this is going to be kind of an obscure story, but I hope it makes sense to you as we walk into it, and I hope it'll be encouraging for all of us. We're going to be talking about the prophet Elisha, not Elijah, but his protege, the one who followed behind him named Elisha, and it's toward the end of Elisha's life. We're going to be looking at this story when uh, a king comes to him, and the king's name is Joash, or it's also, he's called Jehoash. And so it's either way. It's spelled either way in different times. But uh, as, we, as we look at him, Joash was the grandson of Jehu, and I'm not going to go through all of the story about him. But uh, he was similar to his grandfather in several ways. One was he wanted to follow the Lord. At the same time, he wanted to follow and worship pagan idols. He did want to do both. He knew the power of God, but he also kind of wanted to fit in with the culture and fit in with the crowd. And so I want to begin our story. It's going to be in 2 Kings chapter 13. I'm going to begin in verse 14, and we're going to go down through verse 19. And then I just want to share with you some things out of this story. So let me just read it to you, and then we'll just start from there. 2 Kings 13, verses 14 through 19 says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. This is important. 
laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, who was their enemy, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows, and he took the arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them, and he struck three times and stopped. Then the, then the man of God was angry with him and said, you, have, you, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So I want to talk about this because I want to talk about this story. And we're going to look at this story and try to maybe learn some things that are going on here, okay? But I want to give you some ideas of just kind of thinking about in our own life. So let me just say this first idea that we're going to see in this story that I want you to write down. Number one, if you have that in your outline, is this, this idea. True contrition... True contrition demonstrates open humility. True contrition, a contrite spirit, a a contrition, demonstrates it has an open humility about it. So I'm going to talk about this. This is the king of Israel. Now remember, he worships pagan gods, but he also has great regard toward the God of Israel. In 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 14, it just says this, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Now listen, as I said earlier, Joash had worshipped both. Whenever he says, My father, my father, here's what he's saying. He is admitting that Israel's protection does not come from the king. He is saying here, when he calls him that. Now, the reason I'm saying that is this story may sound a little bit, have you ever heard that statement? Maybe the chariots uh, of Israel and the, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Have you, have you heard, remember that story? Maybe you've heard of it. It's another story we find in the Bible. And it's also Elisha because years earlier, about 10 or so years earlier, the Bible tells us that the Syrians were trying to come against Israel and And the Lord would show Elisha where the Syrians were going to attack. And as they were going to attack, uh, Elisha would tell the king, it wasn't this king, it was another one before him, would tell him, say, hey, they're going to be trying to come here. And so Israel would mount up their army and they would go there. And so the Syrian king's like, what in the world has happened? And it happened so many times that finally he just said, okay, somebody here is snitching on me. Somebody is telling the Israelites, and one of the guys said, oh no, there's a prophet in Israel that he knows what you're whispering in your bedroom. And he said, where is he? He said, well, he lives in a town called Dothan. So you know the story. The king of Syria sent his entire army and surrounded that city. So I just always think about it like this. Uh, Elisha's servant got up in the morning. He went out to go get the morning paper because the Bible says he went outside in the morning. And so I'm just assuming it was a Jerusalem news or something. But anyway, he walks outside and when he does, he sees the army and freaks out. And he runs back in and goes, oh no, oh no, their army is out here. What are we going to do? And Elisha says, what are you worried about? There's more of us than there are of them. 
And he said, well, what do you mean? And then he says, he prays this prayer. Let me just read it to you. It's in 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 17. It says, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of the horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. As that story goes on, here's what happened. They, they came there, and Elisha prayed, and they were all struck with blindness. He led the entire army right in to the king of Israel. And so the king of Israel says this, and this is what he says. So this was this king's either father or grandfather, but he says, my father, to, to Elisha, my father, what should we do? Should we kill him? And he says, no, feed him and send him back. God gave them to you as captives. So they understood that the, arm, the chariots and army of the Lord who were literally surrounding Elisha was their real protection. Does that make sense? And so as we come to this, the king finds out that the great prophet is about to die. So the protection over Israel, he's worried and fearful. And so he goes and runs to him, and he gets there to him, and he falls before him in this humility of his recognition before Elisha. Look, I may be the king, but you're the man. And I know that I have an army, but you control the army that protects this nation. Do you hear what's happening? That's what's happening. And so, so here's what, and we're going to see this, how this plays out in just a minute. But the reality is this, that this, this humility of him to fall before the, 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 the uh, prophet, Elisha sees it and realizes God's doing something. This is what I'm looking for, a contrite spirit. The Bible says in, in Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, it says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. He's looking for that humility in us, and he's looking for us to realize no matter what position we're in, we hadn't got it all together. And we know that without the Lord, we won't make it. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, the Bible says this, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For, look at this, God opposes the proud. Literally, that word means to stiff arm. It means to keep away, keep at a distance. God stiff arms the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives that grace to the humble. And so, so as we're stepping into this, if we want to move into a place where we have a tenacious passion for more of God, we have to come to a place where we realize no matter how powerful I may think I am or how much I think I've got it together, there is an army that is protecting me that unless I surrender fully to that army and humble myself before that army, I don't stand a chance. Does that make sense? That's where we have to start. And so as we move on, let's go on to the next part because, again, a true contrition demonstrates open humility. The second thing that I want to just say as we look at this story that helps us come into that, that tenacious passion is dire conditions create genuine urgency. Sometimes dire conditions create a genuine urgency. You know how it is, you know, I think... Many of you have children. And how many of you have done the, I'm going to count to three? Yes. So you know how it is. They're standing there not paying any attention. And you go, one, 
And they all of a sudden they realize, well, okay, it's starting to get a little urgent. Two, and then all of a sudden they bolt. And whenever they go do whatever it is, why did they go do it? Because the conditions became urgent. <laughs> there was an issue coming up that they were a little bit nervous about. Well, as we come to this, let's read the story. Again, verses 15 through 17. And Elisha said to him, now listen, see, Elisha saw the contrite heart. And so it, the Spirit of God stirred up in Elisha. God's wanting to do something now. through the, He can do something through this king. It says, and Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands. And he said, open the window eastward. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot. And he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria. For you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. Now listen, whenever he saw that, that, that humility in the king, he knew that God would open a door for bringing victory to him and to his people. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And he saw that, and he came to this place, and all of a sudden, there was an urgent day. And let me just tell you about what was going on. The king of Syria was named Hazael, and Hazael was slowly overtaking Israel, little bit by little bit, but his ultimate goal was their complete eradication. That was his goal. He wanted to destroy them. And because Israel was not following God with a whole heart, because they were kind of half-hearted in it, God was giving them over because they were coming out from under God's protection. Did you know that God has a protection over his people? I know you may sometimes feel like he doesn't, but he does. He loves to bless his children. He loves to have a protection on his children, right? I know as parents, we want to do that. I remember years ago, my oldest son, he was just a kid, and he was a kid, one of them kids that, you know, he was just highly active. Let me just say that. Um, I don't know how else to say it. Uh, I do know a lot of ways to say it, but I better not. But anyway, um, and he could sometimes get a little annoying about it. And uh, I will never forget, though, it was on a Wednesday night at our church when we were living in Alabama, and and he came in. We were in there eating dinner with some friends. And, uh, and, and Kathy says, David, Kevin's standing behind you and something's wrong. And I turn around and he is quite nervous. And he was about, I think he was about nine. And I said, what's up, buddy? And he couldn't hardly talk. And so I, I said, dude, tell me what's up. And he said, dad, there was this 14-year-old that um, said he was going to beat me up. And he came and cornered me in a corner between one building and the other at our church. And, and I screamed, and he backed up, and I ran in, and, and now he's standing. So this was like 30 seconds earlier. Now, I was on staff there at, at that church, associate pastor of the church, but in that moment, I was a dad. And I looked at him, and I said, come on, son. And I said, we're going to go handle this. And in that moment, I'm... Fortunately, the 14-year-old kid wasn't there. Couldn't find him anywhere, but I found out who he was, and I met with him the next day. And I said, unfortunately, I was calm. But I said, I know sometimes he can be a little bit annoying. But if I ever hear you touch my kid, I promise you I'm going to take you out. 
You can call your daddy all you want. You don't mess with my boy. Now, if I think that, what do you think your father in heaven thinks about the enemy and his attacks against you? What he wants to do against you? Now, let me give you a psalm, as a matter of fact. I, um, and I, I would encourage you to read it. Um, I read it for When you read through the one-year Bible, actually, you will wind up reading it three times. And you read it twice if you were to do it that way. But um, it is Psalm 18. And I don't have time to talk about it tonight, but it's Psalm 18, the whole psalm. And it's a long one. But let me tell you about Psalm 18. The first three verses are David telling about after God had given him victory over all his enemies, he talks about how great God is. But you start verse 4, and he tells about what was really going on in his life. And then you get over, I think it's about verse 8 to about verse 16. He tells about God's response. And God is a loving father that is hacked off about what's going on with his boy. And he goes and starts saying about how God is and what God's doing and this darkness and this, the presence of God coming down. And, and let me just say this to you, that, that as we come to this, God is ready to bring victory into our lives. He is, he is tired of seeing the enemy bring defeat into our lives, but he's looking for that contrition. And when, he, when we come to a place where we realize in an urgent moment, I need help, I promise you, those are the conditions that God steps into. And we see it here in this. Syria had been slowly destroying them, ultimately wanting to wipe them out. But God made a promise. Again, let's read the promise in 2 Kings chapter 13, verse 17. It says, and he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. This is the promise of a total victory against their enemy. The king's humility moved the spirit of God's heart in Elisha to rise up and say, I'm giving him victory. I'm giving him victory. In a similar way, just never forget this. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has brought total victory to us. Victory has been won. When he said it is finished, he meant it. He meant it. He secured that total victory against the devil. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that's why he came. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, it says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That's why he came. That's what he's doing. As a matter of fact, I tell this to our people. I said, this is one of the things that a lot of us is not really popular, but at Christmas, whenever we celebrate the birth of the king, let me tell you what we celebrate in reality. We celebrate God's declaration of war against the kingdom of darkness. The king came to declare his victory. He's promised that every believer can walk in this victory. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, maybe you remember the story. He had sent out the 72 and they came back and with excitement saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And in verse 19, he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's talking about demons, literally, and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. He says, I've given you that authority. Again, we walk in that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. I gave it to you last night, but it is so true. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. 
He says he wants to bring victory to us. But like the king, we too have enemies. We have an enemy that's constantly attacking. We are behind enemy lines still. John 10.10 tells us the thief comes. He has a purpose. He has a scheme for your life. He comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I just want to say this to you. I find a lot of believers, a lot of parents, thinking, well, why would he attack me? I mean, I'm not doing anything. I'm trying to live good, and I'm trying to be nice. And, I'm, and here's what they do. They think that if I just stay passive, that kind of will just kind of everything will be okay. And the enemy says, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. That's a good idea. And maybe many of you may not have heard this story, and I don't know if I'll get it right because it's just popped in my head, and I'm sorry I do that sometimes. But uh, by, he was the prime minister of England. His name was Chamberlain. Anybody remember the prime minister Chamberlain? So Chamberlain was, it was right as World War II was getting going, and Germany was literally destroying everything, and they were taking down, they were already taking down France. They were coming and taking out England. And so uh, Chamberlain, Prime Minister Chamberlain, had gone to uh, Germany. Him, he had gone there to meet with Hitler and sign an agreement. In fact, there's a video you can watch whenever Chamberlain comes back off the plane back into England with the cheers of the English people. And everybody's so excited. Here's the story they didn't know. Because whenever they had this peace treaty between England and Germany, and Hitler says, well, of course I'll sign it. He signs it with him. They've got a copy of that signed. And he leaves. One of Hitler's top aides there with him was just going, what are you doing? He said, that paper doesn't mean anything. Of course I'll sign it. It doesn't mean anything. Not long after that, there was one other guy there that nobody really liked in England. Chamberlain went to him and he says, I've got to step down. You need to be the prime minister. You see, Chamberlain, his idea was you don't go on the defense and try to sign a treaty with the enemy. You go on the offense and you attack him openly. And that is how England defeated them. Because he knew he had to get America and the other allied forces with him, but he wasn't going to get it when they were just stepping back on the defense. And guys, let me tell you something. There's a lot of believers trying to do like Chamberlain and sign peace treaties with Hitler. And he's like, heck yeah, let's do it. But he doesn't mean it. He doesn't mean it. In fact, just I call that passive apathy. And here's what I mean by that. Passive apathy will simply allow Satan to continue taking ground until you look up one day and your joy is gone, your power is anemic, and your life is totally worldly. You find yourself in total defeat. That is a truth that happens to believers everywhere. We don't realize. I mean, I think, so I would say this. I would say at this church, and I would think that many of you understand that we are in a war. I think you know that um, I just by conversations. But I've had to learn that I have an enemy trying to stop me, trying to defeat me. He wants to take my kids he wants to take down my grandkids. He wants to destroy my marriage. 
And I'm either going to sit back passive and let it happen, or I'm going to rise up and go on the offensive in the authority that's already been won in Christ, and I'm going to walk in that victory. And so in this story, here's what happened. When, when Elisha saw the humility, the Spirit of God rose up in him and said, God wants to work a victory through that. I know the Syrians are attacking. I know they're taking land from you and taking ground from you. But now you've come saying, okay, but I know that there's a God who takes care of us. What am I going to do? And so Elisha says, come on. And he takes an arrow and said, put it in your, in your bow. And he puts it in the bow. And then Elisha takes and lays his hands on his. And he says, pull that string back. And they open the, open the window. And he says, shoot it. And he shoots it. What's that? Holding his hands on him is saying, I am laying my hands of authority. You're about to take and win the victory. The angels of God, the warriors of God, God's army is going to go and defeat the Syrians through you. That's what he's telling him. And so as we come to this story, we begin to see that, that this is what's happening. We need to understand we have an enemy against us. You know these verses, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in the faith. That's an offensive move, by the way. Resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being, ex- are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Right now, there are believers all over the world that are running, going and experiencing those sufferings. I know that many of you are going through hard times and I know what it feels like because here's what happens to us. And I know some of you have been saying this in your head. Nobody feels like I do. Nobody's going through the struggles I am. And that's what the enemy wants to do. In my church, they know a statement I've made many times. Jonathan probably could say it right now. I've learned this about Satan. He wants to isolate so he can assassinate. He wants to pull you away from other people. Think you're in this all by yourself. Nobody's feeling what you're feeling. Nobody's hurting like you're hurting. Because he knows if he can get you there, he can take you out. And that's his goal. But I want to encourage you. Because when God sees that humility, he says, I've got arrows of victory because I've already won it. And he says, I want to place an authority on those hands. And when you go on the offensive, you're going to win victory. And he wants us to walk in total victory. Well, let me give you the third one. And hey, this is the last one. All right. So we talked about that true contrition demonstrates open humility. And the second one, dire conditions, they, 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 they create genuine urgency. But this third one is bold conviction. Bold conviction releases spiritual tenacity. Bold conviction releases spiritual tenacity. As we get ready to, to look at that, uh, just, I want to, I so I thought, you know, I better give you kind of an idea. Some of you may be like me and wonder, what does tenacity mean? We kinda, but let me, so let me give you this quick kind of definition. Tenacity is the persistent determination to continue pursuing an objective to its fulfillment. It's literally what it is. Tenacity is the persistent determination to continue pursuing an objective to its fulfillment. When both legs are cramping, and all I can do is walk and basically shuffle, 
I went to complete and not compete. Well, let's read the story, see what it says, and then we'll talk about it in just a minute. 2 Kings 13, verse 18, 19. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. And so as we look at the story, I want you to get this in your mind because I believe this is exactly the way it happened. And I've heard this different ways, but this is what I believe. Dave believes this, all right? If you don't, that's okay. Um, But anyway, I believe that what happened is Elisha took an arrow and put it in the bow and took his hands on the king and said, shoot it. And he shot it out the window. And then Elisha took off and took that whole quiver of arrows that he had. And he gave them to him. And he says, go for it, big boy. It's on you now. Do it. And he takes an arrow out, shoots it. He doesn't really know what he's doing. Takes another one, shoots it. Takes another one and shoots it. And he stops with still having arrows in the quiver. And Elisha said, what did you stop for? I gave you a whole quiver. If you would have kept on shooting, you would have won a complete and total victory. But now you stopped short. You gave up. You quit. Let me ask you this. Do you believe in your heart that Jesus won the total victory? Do you believe that when he said it is finished, he meant it? Do you believe, and, I'm, and I know you do, but I want to try to bring it up in our hearts. Do you really believe that God is ready to pour out more in your life than you've ever seen? Are you, do you believe that he is ready to bless you beyond your wildest imagination? He is. Bless you with his presence. Bless you with a joy unspeakable, full of glory. Bless you with peace in the midst of the storms that we talked about last night. He is. He is. Bless you with victory over the enemy. He is ready to do that. And so we come to him. Do you believe that you could win the victory without him? No, we don't, right? We can make a good show of it, but we really can't defeat the enemy. We know we can't. So we come in humility. And we find ourselves in difficult, urgent situations and we don't know what to do. We need help. We need God to move in a powerful way and we don't know what to do. And God comes to us and says, all right, let's take an arrow out. And he puts his hands on ours. And he says, the authority that I have is yours. Shoot the arrow. And he says, now here's the quiver. Go for it. And here's what many of us do. We'll go to a point, and then we stop. Through the years, that was always my struggle. I mean, I'd run hard after God to a point, but then I'm like, when things get tough, I find myself kind of saying, hey, you know, I don't know if I can. I just, I, I, I feel Apathy creeping back in. 
I feel it inside of me. I told you before, I read, I get up and spend time with God every day. I read my Bible every day. I do not do that because I'm a preacher. I did that long before I went in the ministry. I do that out of necessity because I know me. And I know my enemy. And I know that he has a hate for me and toward me that goes so much deeper than I could imagine. I, I can, and I can say all day, but I'm not that bad a guy. And he goes, great, let's sign it. I'll sign it. While he continues to kill, steal, and destroy. Or I can say, you know what? No more. No more. That's not happening anymore. Did I tell you guys a story about my son, Brian, who had a spirit of fear on him? I think I told you guys, didn't I? I don't think I told you. So when my middle son, who is, he's, I showed you, he's 6'5", he's a big guy, he's a big guy. And um, when he was in fourth grade, he was the tallest of everybody there. I mean, he was just big. But he had a fear on him. And it was, it wasn't, it was a fear. And I could tell you stories about it. But my uh, mother-in-law came and stayed with our boys for a week while Kathy and I had gone to a conference. And when we came back, she had left, and she loves Jesus, man. I've got an amazing mother-in-law. But um, she called me, and she said, David, Brian has a spirit of fear on him, and that needs to be broken. And this is what she said. I'll never forget this. She said, David, he's given his life to Jesus, and here's the thing. His inheritance is not fear. His inheritance comes from the Lord. And here's what I knew immediately, and here's what she was talking about. So my wife really doesn't have that fear. She doesn't have it too bad. Her dad didn't really have it too bad. Her grandfather had that spirit of fear on him, and it was heavy on him. And that had caught on to Brian and was on him. It was keeping him from doing things, I'll just say that. And so I went into his room. I said, all right, here we go. <laughs> And here's the way I prayed. I'd never heard this before, but this is what I started praying. I said, Lord, he has received an inheritance from his great-grandfather of fear, but he is a child of God, and you have given him a new inheritance. And so we're going to do a spiritual dialysis right now. And we're going to run that old blood out of him, that blood of fear, because you've not given him a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And I started praying that and started fighting for that. Now, Brian was not there. But you see, as his parent, I have a spiritual authority over him. And the enemy knows that. And when I step into that authority, because the Lord Jesus gave me that authority when he laid his hands on me, and I pull those arrows out and I start flinging them, they're hitting where they need to hit. And they're hitting the mark and defeating the enemy. And God broke that spirit right then. And he still to this day has never had that fear, spirit of fear. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a caution. He does, but he doesn't have a fear like he had before. Because I decided I'm going to be aggressive against the enemy. I'm coming against him. He's not taking my kids. I ain't giving him my kids. I'm going to fight. And you know that, and you can too. And so as we come to this, we have to walk in that bold conviction because we have within it, with, with us, God has given us the arrows of his victory because he's won the victory over the enemy and we can walk in that victory. Whenever you hear the story and you listen to Elisha's response, you hear an anger in his voice like, 
Why did you stop? Listen again what it says in 2 Kings 13, verse 19. You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Man, go in there and fight. I can't tell you how many parents that I've talked with through the years that they've come to me and they've got a wayward child and he's just not acting right and they come in and here's the way every one of them have done through the years. Well, there's nothing we can really do about it. And I'm like, who told you that? Are you a believer? Yes, you're a believer. Are they still under your roof? Yes. Then you have authority in the kingdom against the enemy fighting them. We had a lady in our church, or actually a couple in our church when, years ago when I lived in Alabama. This couple came in, and they came to me, and they said, Brother David, could you talk to us about something? I said, what's that? And they said, about coming against demonic spirits that are attacking our children, our grandchildren. So, well, yeah. So I told them what we did, how I've done it many times. And so told them what to do. Well, their daughter had two sons. She had, she had been living in, in, the, uh, in the Northwest, and her husband and her had all kind of problems. Anyway, they divorced, and her boys kind of came her way. But one of them was 18, the other one was 19, and they were a mess, a mess. And she didn't know what she was going to do. And she had heard about going in and anointing their room and standing against the enemy in this spiritual authority as a parent. And so grandparents came to me. We talked about it. I told them, this is how you do it. It's real simple. Let me show you how to do it because you're standing in authority. Well, anyway, so the mom and the grandparents did it. The boys weren't around. The the 19-year-old was out and gone somewhere, but the 18-year-old was still around. And and so he had gone out that night. And so they went in, anointed his room with oil. And when I say that, it wasn't like splashing. You know, I'm not talking about you know, doing that. I'm just talking about taking and saying that in the name of Jesus, we're taking authority. Oh, put it on the door. Go in the room and start playing praise music. Lay hands on his pillow. I've done this to every one of my boys. As he lays his head down here, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I'm coming against the attacks of the enemy. And they took authority over that room. And then the mother decided, I'm not going to say anything to him that we did this. The next morning, she was in there fixing breakfast. Her son came in there sat down and he said, Mom, I had the best night of sleep I've had in months. Within two months, he had given his life to Christ. It wasn't but a month later and the 19-year-old gave his life to Jesus. I'm not saying that's going to happen every time. What I am telling you, though, you don't have to sit back and just let life happen. The enemy hopes that's what we do. Don't be like Chamberlain and try to sign an agreement with the enemy because he will. He just won't hold it. But the Bible says, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, that we have an authority we can walk in. But don't just go in it partially. God's giving you a quiver, man, shoot all them arrows and just keep shooting them until the enemy is totally and completely defeated. Let me just read this passage, and I'm going to go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. It says this, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us, look at this, his precious and very great promises so that through them, through what? The precious and very great promises. That through them, look at this, 
You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says this, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. You know, the Bible says that we're to put on the armor of God. And I do. I mean, I, I come at this as a warrior, all right? I, I really do, to be a fighter against the enemy. And this is my prayer. And I, honestly, this is the truth. Brian, Jonathan's heard me say it. This is my prayer. That when I stand before God, that my armor will look like I've been a warrior. It won't be shiny and clean. And they get it and go, well, heck, this hasn't even been used. We can let somebody else use this armor. I want to get there, and it looked like I've been in a fight. I played a lot of football. You could always tell at the end of the game who had been in the game and who had sat on the sidelines. The ones that sat on the sidelines were the quickest ones to get to the parties and get to the eating places and all that because they didn't even have to shower, man. They didn't, the clothes weren't sweaty. They weren't dirty. But the rest of us, you know, we're wiping blood off, sitting in the you know, in the ice bath just trying to get to where our legs can move again because we were in the fight. I'm going to be leaving tomorrow. You guys are still going to be here. I believe in you. You've got a great pastor. You've got a great church. You may feel like that there's a lot of people out there that are against you, a lot of people that are you know, living whatever they're doing, and you may feel like you're just not that big a deal. But I promise you that's the lie. God's going to do more through you if you'll just step in. But you have to be tenacious. Just if nothing else, just remember that part. I've come to complete and not compete. I've told the Lord all I want to hear when I stand before him is well done, good and faithful servant. I want to have fought the good fight, and I know you do too, and we can. So God's given you the quiver. He's given you the anointing, and he says, shoot those arrows and watch the enemy fall. Let me pray for you. Father, I just thank you for the honor to be here. I I'm just so amazed at this group and Lord, just love them. I love their heart, their heart for you, their longing to, to live for you. But Father, I know it's not easy. I know for some of them, the battle begins whenever they step back into their house. I know for others, that battle just carries on when they go to work tomorrow. When they go to have to pay their bills. I, I know that they have struggles. But Lord, I know that you know. And that you've already won the victory. Hey, tonight, let me just ask you to do this. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe in your life that the Lord Jesus has already won the victory 
against the battles that you're standing in? Do you believe he's already won them? Would you be willing to just say, Lord, this battle that I'm in, I can't beat it, but you've already won it. Would you be willing to ask him for the arrows of the authority that he has to come against the enemy in those issues, in those areas? Now here's the last thing I just want to ask you. Would you be willing to be bold enough to fight against the enemy until he totally defeats the enemy's work? Would you be willing to do that? Just tell the Lord, I'm in. That's the only way I know to say it. I just say, I'm in, Lord. Father, I just see, and I already know that there's many of them here that are warriors. They don't feel like it, but they are. So Holy Spirit, I pray that that, that zeal, that tenacity that kept Jesus on a cross, that won the victory, that has been in the body of believers since Acts chapter 2, to fight the fight, to finish the race. I pray that, Lord, that we would each step into that, and Lord, that you would be glorified. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is newhopenyc. Our website is newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 164-2 Gothels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you and we hope to see you soon.